Blessings, blessings, all right, that's much better. Before we get into today's teaching, um, we do have the calendars. Please visit aftershabbatmilkandpunny.com and pick up the calendars so you can um, track the um, feasts and um, the schedules of the Shabbat readings for the year. Um, also, if you'd like to join the calendar club or the Shabbat club, please um, email mario at torahtothetribes.com and we can get you the links for the Shabbat Club, which is a nice group that um, obviously meets on Shabbat, I believe about 9 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. It's a great time to have fellowship. And then Friday night there is a calendar club, um, which is a great time if you want to investigate into the um, Maseroth, um, the uh, calendar there. So great, great opportunities. Today, part one of a topical teaching I've entitled The Book of the Law. Now, there's going to be a lot of people, I'm sure, that are tuning in wondering if I'm going to recant my position on the book of the law. Because isn't that Matthew Nolan from Torah to the Tribes that says, the book of the law has been abolished, that the book of the law has been done away with. I'm sure that you've said all of those things in past and previous teachings. What, what are you doing now? Are you going to recant because the pressure is, 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 is so much? I mean, we did hear you say that we're no longer under the book of the law. Um, didn't you say that the book of the law is obsolete? It is true. I have said all of those things. And I still, you'll be sad, some of you may be sad, who are tuning in for the wrong reasons, stand by those very, very statements. But today, we're going to reconcile those statements. The book of the law is obsolete. The book of the law is abolished and done away with, and we're no longer under the book of the law, with other scriptural statements like 1 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, yes, Matthew, that includes the book of the law, all scripture, because all means all, All scripture is given by inspiration of Elohim. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in zadachah, righteousness. Second Corinthians tells us in the 8th chapter and the 13th verse, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Let's drill down into these statements that I've made. Because abolished is the Greek word, you'll notice, katagero. And it comes to us from the Hebrew word batel. Batel, and that's spelled with a bet, tet, lamed. Betel, it means to cease and to hinder. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, having abolished, and again, we're going to find that Greek word, katagio, or katagio, and it comes again from the Hebrew word betel. Bet Tet Lamed, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So in conjunction with the abolishment clause, a new man is being brought forth that is going to bring forth peace. So we really have to slow things down and look into the language of where this abolished is coming from so that we don't misinterpret what is being communicated from this ministry or by what I'm saying as we go through the scripture. Because look at Ephesians chapter 2.15. It's only the law, the Torah of commandments contained in ordinances that falls underneath the abolishment clause, isn't it? It's only the law, the Torah, contained in ordinances, according to the scriptures, that falls underneath the abolishment clause. Not the Torah contained in covenant. That is a huge, huge thing that many people miss by taking sound bites from this ministry and running with them, producing huge documents that then I've got to read through, and their premise is totally wrong, and therefore they draw the wrong conclusion, because you cannot understand wisdom, which is the principal thing, by taking a soundbite, a 15-minute or a 15-second clip from Torah to the Tribes, and going off half-cock. It just isn't good discipleship. So I want to now explain to us how the book of the law can be abolished, yet all scripture is still for inspiration, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and the instruction of Zadachah, where we get the term righteousness, Malki Zadik. So... 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. I hope you can write these scriptures down today. Drill into it in your own time because you're going to find there's going to be a lot we're going to be covering over the next couple of weeks. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Yahusha the Mashiach, who hath abolished, there's that Greek and Hebrew word again, Katageo, the Greek word, Betel, the Hebrew word spelt Bet, Tet, Lamed, he hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's a question for you. Abolished death, that doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to die, does it? Does it? Abolish death doesn't mean you and I aren't going to die. The key to understanding the abolishment clause is its administration. If you want to write that down in all caps, underline it a dozen times, the key to understanding the abolishment clause is its administration. The ministration of death in this instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. 
But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, well, where was it in written and engraven in stones? Now, the unlearned will go straight to, well, it was written and engraved on the, you know, the Ten Commandments. Now, that, no, that's not what this verse is talking about. That's the knee-jerk reaction verse to go to, oh, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. No. Where did they write and engrave upon stones? Deuteronomy chapter 27 and Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 25 is what this is talking about. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stone, Deuteronomy 27, Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 25, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, that's the second set of tablets, not the first set of tablets, that's the key point that most people go, oh, it's the first set. Of, no, second set of tablets now. Which glory was done away with, abolished. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So how do we reconcile the, the abolishment of the law of commandments contained in ordinances and all scripture being for doctrine and instruction? That is the key point that I want us to focus on. Because scripture does not contradict scripture. I will not contradict scripture. But I will also be disciplined and expect us as students of the word to slow things down, be mature and responsible, and do our due diligence without taking sound bites and jumping to false conclusions because you never understood the premise. And we live in a world today where people are not doing their due diligence. Literally listening to a soundbite from Torah to the tribes and then running and building this whole false premise and then coming to a false conclusion and wasting my time and a lot of other people's time when we could really be learning about the word instead of listening to men's opinions. So let's continue on. We have to understand the biblical, not my opinion, not your opinion, not his opinion, nor her opinion, the biblical usage of what abolish means and what it doesn't mean. Because many people are just taking these sound bites from our teachings and not investigating further and drawing wrong conclusions based upon that faulty premise that they have established. There's articles, videos, all this stuff out, which, you know, backfires because it actually draws more people to our teaching. So it's a good thing, but we have to steward it responsibly and then use that to educate rather than get involved emotionally with the drama. So people wonder why I don't respond. When I do respond, it's in a teaching format because then it benefits us all. And I stay out of the drama. So... Defining abolish, obsolete, and done away with. First of all, what does abolish mean? Let's find out what it does mean first before we find out what it doesn't mean. 
turn with me to Ezra chapter 6 verse 8. We will find the premise now for establishing in the Bible what abolished means. This is something that I learned many, many years ago when I was going through all the rabbinical training and all of that stuff. And I don't despise that, but I take some of it with me and I spit out a lot of that religious mumbo-jumbo. But something that I really, really stuck with me was the Torah of first mention. The first mention of, of a scriptural word in the Bible then establishes its premise that you then bring forward throughout the rest of the scriptures. So we go to the Torah of first mention of abolish, and we come into the book of Ezra. We go to Ezra chapter 6 verse 8. We're going to establish what abolished really does mean. Because the book of the law has been abolished. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do to these elders of the Jews for the building of his house of Elohim. That the king's goods, even the tribute beyond the river, expenses be given with all diligence unto these men that they be not abolished. There's our Hebrew word betel, bet, tet, lamet, which is translated into the Greek that we just mentioned in the New Testament. And here, the context of the abolishment clause is Darius makes a decree not to hinder or abolish the work of the men who are rebuilding the temple. Are you and I the rebuilt temple according to the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament? Are we the new temple? Are we the living, lively stones? And in Acts 15, is the disciples, were they instructed to raise up the fallen tabernacle of David? So if there was something that was hindering the raising up of the one new man, should that then be abolished? And in context, are we now in line with that in the Bible going back to the root of the abolishment clause? Let's establish moreover, Darius makes a decree not to hinder or abolish the work of the men who are rebuilding the temple. So the context of abolish is surrounding not hindering the new building up of a temple that was previously destroyed. Now, Those that don't care and want to continue in Judaizing, this is going right over their head. But to those of us that have the blood-tipped ear, this is hugely significant. This is life-changing in reconciling all of those hard law verses in the New Testament. That you're like, well... It's abolished, but then we we still keep the Shabbat, right? Yes. And we we still keep the Feast of Yahuwah, right? Yes. But how could... This is going to teach us. But this isn't something that you can learn in five minutes. There is the problem. Right? The talking head isn't going to give it to you in five minutes. Ten minutes. 
The context of the abolishment clause in the New Testament is the book of the law is not to hinder the building of the one new man into the commonwealth of Israel as a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15. The book of the law is not to hinder the building up of the one new man into the commonwealth of Israel as a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. The book of the law is no longer to be a hindrance to the building up of the new temple man that was previously destroyed. Ezra chapter 4 verse 21 Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, betel, be abolished, and that the city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. The context again is the building up of a new temple and commandments being given and commandments ceasing. Commandments being given, commandments ceasing, and the building up of a new temple. Ezra chapter 5 verse 5, you can turn there in your own time, but when you read it, you'll find out that the context of Ezra chapter 5 verse 5 is one cannot cause the building up of the new temple to cease because it's by the very hand of Yahuwah. And if this message that's coming out from this ministry is from men, it will fail. But if it is of Yahuwah, then you will not be able to cause that building to cease to go up. Ezra chapter 5 verse 5. And in fact, you don't want to stand in front of that. Galatians chapter 3 verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. The Torah is not of faith. Is that what it says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 12? Does it say that the Torah is not of faith? That the law is not of faith? It clearly does, doesn't it? I just read it. But how come then, when I go to Exodus chapter 19 verse 8, I hear the children of Israel and they're standing at the foot of the mountain where the law is being given... And in faith, they say what? All that Yahweh has said, we will do. That's an action of faith. This is a contradiction in terms. It just said in Galatians chapter 3 verse 12, the law is not of faith. But we just witness in Exodus chapter 19 verse 8, the children of Israel receiving the law by faith. What law did they receive in Exodus chapter 19? They received the book of the covenant Torah. And they received the book of the covenant by faith. So that tells us that some other law that is separate, absolutely distinct from the book of the covenant, was administered 
because of transgression and they were put under it and it had nothing to do with faith. Correct? The book of the law was imposed on them until the time of reformation, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10. We have two distinct Torahs. One that was accepted by faith, all that Yahweh has said we shall do, and another was imposed on them, not agreed to, had no faith, it was imposed upon them because of transgressions. The transgressions that happened at the golden calf. This is a clear distinction in law that people want to put their hands up and say, no, 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 no. There's one book. The book of the law and the book of the covenant are the same. Explain that verse to me. And that is just one of multiples. But that's just an introductory premise to a division of Torah. This is amazing stuff if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. But we have to slow it down quite, quite a lot to be able to grasp, grasp these things. So we see now this abolishment clause. And the premise for abolishment is something must be abolished so it does not hinder up the building up of the new temple man. The one priest under the order of Malkitzedek, a kingdom of priests. But what abolish does not mean is destroyed. What abolished does not mean is destroyed. The Hebrew word for destroyed is machah, machah. And the Greek word is apollolumi, destroyed. And abolished does not mean these things. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator doth liveth. So a will, a a will, as in your written will, a death is required in order to secure what Yahweh has promised to do. A death is required in order to secure what Yahweh has promised to do. If I made a will in 2015 and then I made a new will in 2018, the will is new, correct? It's not renewed, is it? No, no, it's not a renewed, no, it's a brand new will. Can we all agree on that? Because I am so tired of hearing in the Hebrew roots in the Messianic movement, we've got the renewed covenant. This is asinine. You don't understand covenants. I've had to repent of saying that because I got caught up in all that messianic stuff and I used to teach it was renewed. But no, it's not. It is brand new, just as if I had made a new will, meaning the old will is abolished. Now I have a new will. Now that doesn't mean 
That doesn't mean that everything written in my 2015 will is destroyed, does it? No. Doesn't mean that it's all destroyed and whatever was written in my 2015 will is of no use to me whatsoever. It only relates to its administration. Correct? I could decide to bring a whole bunch of that stuff forward into my 2018 will. Because maybe it's a good start. But it is no longer under the 2015 administration that is abolished. It is now moved forward and put under a new, brand new, signed and sealed 2018 current administration. That is what we have to understand. You can't have two different laws and blood covenants running simultaneously any more than you can have two presidential administrations running simultaneously. How can we understand the natural? We won't understand the supernatural. It's about administration. Darius made a command, a decree concerning the administration of building up a new temple. That's the important clause to understand. Now, obsolete, you hear that word. Well, this is obsolete, that's obsolete. Isn't obsolete the same as destroyed? No, it's not. It's akin to abolished in regard to administration again. Romans chapter 6 verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. There's our Greek word again, katageo, and our Hebrew word batel, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6 verse 6. The body still lives, yet it's done away with. Well, how can that be so? How can that be so? Once we become saved, Romans 6 verse 6, our whole being, including our bodies, comes under what? It comes under a new administration, doesn't it? Once we become saved, I still have the same body, but it is no longer under administration of death. It is now under an administration of Messiah. It's all about administration. All of it. And without understanding this simple truth, you are veiled to the complexities of the Bible. It's always in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. And then you'll find the wisdom, which is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear, the absolute fear of Yahuwah. And wisdom is found in the principles of the Bible. Once we become saved, our whole being, including our bodies, comes under a new administration. The body of sin is done away with, yet a new man stands in its place. This is exactly in line 
with the Torah of first mention in Ezra of abolished. And when I say the book of the law is abolished, people are just hearing the 20th century English language and they are not looking at the Bible. And then they're making these false premises and drawing false conclusions because they're not interested in studying to show themselves approved. And it's much easier to go, false teacher, liar, Nazi, racist, right? The culture of shut up. That's it. I don't like what you've got to say. I'm going to call you a name so you'll shut up. And then I can carry on with my life and I can be self-righteous. That is the world we live in. And it's a very, very sad world. Very sad world. Because we as Bible students have to marinate and take things they take time with things. And it's in the delays, like I was saying earlier, that's where Yahweh works, in the delays, in the times that we just let things marinate and stew. That's when all the flavor and richness of his word comes out and permeates through our whole life. So, once the new covenant came into being, which included our bodies being what? The temple. The law stands in a new administration. The law must stand in a new administration. The old body of the book of the law is done away with, yes. Yet a new body of law stands in its way. Judaism will tell you, no, the old administration of the law is still in effect. Messianic Judaism will lie to you and say, hey, practice Judaism, but you can bring Yeshua with you. That's not true. You're leading them along that way, but once they get over here, you're going to have to hide Yeshua under a basket. And people are willing to do that. No. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got modern evangelicals saying, no, there is no new administration of the law. It's all done away with. Both are incorrect because neither understands administration, which is why Rav Shuliak Shaul, the Apostle Paul, spent so much time communicating it. It's all about the right administration of Torah. Not the doing away with of Torah and not the Judaizing of Jesus either. It is the narrow road that leads to life that brings forth wisdom, the principal thing. It's super exciting. So the old body of the book of the law is done away with, yes, Yet a new body of law stands in its place. We're not lawless any more than we're a disembodied spirit, right? We're not lawless any more than we're a disembodied spirit. The consequences of sin are abolished. The body that housed it returning us to the former estate. And we will eventually have glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be 
done away. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. And not as Moshe, who put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Messiah. That's a new administration. Hebrews 8 verse 13. In the saying new, he hath made the first old, and what doth become obsolete. Now, the, the Greek word here for obsolete is paleo, and the Hebrew word here is bala, bet lamed hay. That which doth become obsolete and is growing old is ready to vanish away. The first priesthood under the book of the law is going to vanish. It's been gone for 2,000 years, right? It's still not here. Because a new administration of priesthood has been set in its place. A new administration of priesthood has been set in its place. So the context with this abolishment clause, something that has waxen old, like in the case of a garment, right? Something that has waxen old. Garments in the biblical culture would actually be used again and again to make something new. They couldn't just go down to Walmart and buy some new rag, could they? They had their clothes and they would cut them up and they would make new garments. A garment that had waxen old could be made new. They wouldn't be destroyed. The only case in which a garment would be destroyed was if it had come into contact with leprosy. Right? Buildings. People and things. Come in contact with leprosy, you tear down the building. Clothing, come in contact with leprosy, destroy the clothing. People, come in contact with leprosy, got to put them outside the camp. The only way they get rebuilt is by being shown under the administration of the priest. I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm just... Do you see? And this is huge. If we read the book of Hebrews, Galatians, and Ephesians, and then go back and read the book of the law, we'll have wisdom, the principal thing. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. Let's look at these old waxen garments. We're still looking at what is obsolete, what is abolished, and now we're going to learn from old waxen garments what this means. First of all, we looked in Ezra at the premise of abolishment to find out the abolishment clause. We established now that the abolishment clause has got to do with an administration of new commandments and not hindering up the building of a new temple, the new priesthood, the one new man. And now we're going to learn obsolete has got something to do with waxen garments that were old. 
And we're going to find out from the words of the Messiah himself what these words mean. No one puts a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up takes from the garment and a tear is made worse. So new garments would have old cloth brought forward into them, not vice versa, unless they would tear. Right? New garments would have old cloth brought forward into them, never vice versa, because then the garment would have torn. The new covenant which is the book of the covenant given as Torah based upon better promises, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6, does incorporate all scripture that is woven into it, given by inspiration of Elohim for its profitability, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. But that does not mean, but that does not mean you're wearing the old garment under its old administration with all the old laws that were applied to the previous administration, does it? No way. For example, the cloth of a woman's dress could be used legally to make a man's garment. The cloth of a woman's dress could be legally used to make a man's garment. And the administration, listen, and the administration of the law pertaining to cross-dressing would not be administered because a completely new garment for a man has been made. The administration of the cross-dressing clause would not be brought forward into the new garment. If we read the Bible, we can see these principles there. And now I know why for over 10 years I taught the Torah portion week in, week out, week in, week out, year upon year, year upon year, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see these things. And then you just glean right over the top of it and make this false premise and draw a false conclusion. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, the cross-dressing clause and administration. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto Yahuwah thy Elohim. We must understand the new administration of the law does not mean a destroying of all the threads of doctrine and instruction that have gone before. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean a destruction of all the threads of doctrine that have gone before. You can bring the threads of the garment forward and put it under a new administration and then the old administration does not apply because it is abolished. The cross-dressing clause is abolished when a piece of a woman's garment is brought forward and put into a new garment to make a men's garment. The cross-dressing administration is abolished, but the threads of the garment aren't destroyed, are they? 
You have a new administration and a new covenant. This, to me, is just something that we really must understand. Psalm chapter 6, verse 7, we find this word obsolete, and it's connected to our eyes, to our vision. It means it's time for a new vision. It's time for new vision. We are the end time people and we need new vision. There is nothing new under the sun except for our eyesight needs to be new. That's the problem. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 11. A leper would be made obsolete and shut up. He would be shut up indoors. A leper would be made obsolete and shut up indoors until his time was up and then he would come forward under a new administration by command of the priest. It didn't mean that the leper was destroyed. He wasn't rendered null and void of no use. That's not what this ministry is teaching. But that's what people say we're teaching. Because all they hear is abolished, done away with. They don't want to do their due diligence. So much easier to call people's names and write off truth and righteousness. So you can carry on in your own life. The politicians are doing it. People are doing it daily. And as believers, if we do that, we've made ourselves friends with the world. And we've become enemies of Elohim. That's the truth. And many will come to me in the end of days and say, well, Master, Master, we were studying your word, Master. No, 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 no. you were just taking sound bites, scrolling through YouTube, and you, you know what? You were just looking for the next sensation. But no, we're a different people than that. I have a job to do, I have a job to do, but we have a job to do together. I'm a facilitator so that we can dig in deep together. Yes, I have a job of bringing forth and getting in with a shovel and digging things out. But together, we verify this through the word, not through the world. Through the word, not through the world. Oh, do you know what they're saying over at Torah to the tribes? Oh, no, that's called gossip. That's a problem. Oh, you guys are teaching. No, I didn't say that. You see, that's called gossip. That's mischievous. The leper was made obsolete and he was shut up indoors only until his time was up and then he would come under a new administration by command of the priest. And that's what we've done in Yahusha. Yes, I was shut up in sin. Yes, I was obsolete and shut up in sin. But now I have come to Yahushua, my high priest, and he has put me under a new administration of the law for righteousness. And the law is not 
all just thrown away and burnt as Christianity was teach. But it is not to be Judaizing others into an old administration. But you can bring Yeshua with you. That's not true. They're leading people to slaughter and the denial of the Messiah. Because when they get to the end of that road, they'll find a Levitical high priest and they will not be able to speak the name of Yahushua. And then they'll be too far down the road to turn back because they were never discipled in righteousness. They just thought they could just switch sides. You know, Balaam? Balaam, he was on that donkey, right? And there was a vineyard of Christianity on one side and a vineyard of Judaism on the other side. And they're both throwing grapes over the wall. And he's hard-pressed up against this wall, hard-pressed up against that wall. And he's being called names from both vineyards. But at the end of the day, if he continues on that narrow path, he will meet the one that rides in on a donkey. And he'll meet the angel with a drawn sword and return back into the Garden of Eden to where we whence came from under the right administration of the high priest Yahushua. That is, of course, a paraphrase on Scripture. We know that, you know, okay, because otherwise people will go, it never says that in the Bible. I'm paraphrasing, okay? It's a parable, a parable about a parable, if you will. But these are amazing, amazing truths that we're now gleaning from. The leper just had to live under a new administration of law which the priest determined. That didn't mean that everything in his previous life he had to forget and not apply forward, did it? No. He just brought it forward under a new administration. James chapter 2 verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the entire Torah and yet offend on one point... He is guilty of it all. So if you're going to say that you are under the administration of the whole Torah, yet you do not build a paraffin on your roof and do animal sacrifices on Shabbat, then you are guilty of what? All. Or you can come under the right administration of Torah... And walk in the righteousness that Messiah has bestowed upon us. There we have it. There we have it. Deuteronomy tells us in chapter 27 verse 26. I mean we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest. If we approach Torah through a Levitical administration. We're not Torah observant at all. We've deceived ourselves. Leviticus, excuse me, Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 and Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 say that cursed, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you're going to be under the administration of the book of the law, then you have to do everything, otherwise you're cursed. That includes animal sacrifices. Like today on Shabbat, you should have been killing animals. And you should have built a paraffin on your roof. And there is no Torah-sanctioned excuse for you not doing that. You can't say, well, the Jews haven't built a temple. Where is that verse? 
That doesn't exist. Well, I can delay until the Jews, oh, it's not convenient, we're in the nations. The Bible, where is that verse? Non-existent. This is hypocrisy maximized, which is why the religion of Judaism was created. Isn't that what Messiah said? You brood of vipers, you <coughs> hypocrites. Right? It's a religion of hypocrisy that you're now trying to get people to join and bring Yeshua with. If you try to adhere to a Levitical administration, then you're required to follow everything, and everything means everything written in the book of the law. Everything means everything. You can't call the grace card on your Torah observance for exemptions for observing or performing the parts of the law that you just find plain inconvenient or impractical today. But then not exempt yourself from observing and performing the more palatable parts of the law. Oh, I like the seat seat. No, we'll keep that. Yes, no, no, that's good. Oh, but no, 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 I, no, no. It's, it's just not convenient for me to do animal sacrifices today because the Jews haven't built a temple and excuses. This is hypocrisy. This is Judaism. A religion of hypocrites that deny the Messiah that you're now trying to lead believers who literally love Yahusha into a religion of hypocrisy. And you're using the same hypocritical arguments for this establishment of Judaism that they've used for 2,000 years. And the church said, that's hypocrisy. We'd rather do away with the law and at least walk in the New Testament grace. That's hypocrisy. Both are wrong. But at least one upholds the Messiah in his true New Testament validation of resurrection. The other is just plain demonic. Brood of vipers, hypocrites, synagogue of Satan. They who say they are the true Yahudim, yet they're not. We've learned this over the years. So again, Galatians chapter 2 verse 21. For if righteousness comes by the book of the law, the law, then Messiah died in vain. If a right administration comes by the book of the law under the Levitical priesthood, then Yahushua died in vain. Those are very sobering words, or at least they should be. Choosing the Malkitzedic administration doesn't equate to destroying or throwing the commands of Yahuwah out the door whatsoever. It equates to rightly dividing the word of truth and the principle of Chabah. And that's something that most people haven't heard of. So that's what we're now going to look in. The ten principles of Chabah in the Hebrew, and that means dovetailing or coupling. It comes from um, the the, um, construction of the tabernacle, which we are, the new temple being built up as lively stones. So what you need to understand is that, yes, we are under a new administration of the Torah, but that doesn't mean that everything in the book of the law 
is burnt, destroyed. We just must rightly divide the word of truth and use the principle of Chabah, which is spelled Chet, Bet, Resh, Chabah, coupling or dovetailing. How do we dovetail? This is how we do it. The book of the covenant, Exodus 19.4 to Exodus 24.11, is established. But from Genesis 1 all the way forward to that point, including up to Exodus 24.11, are all of the Malkitzedic life cycles, precepts, and commands that went before. That's your foundational premise for Chabah or coupling. Meaning, if you find from Genesis 1 to 24.11, the premise may be Shabbat, for instance. That's, you know, right there within the first chapters of Genesis. Now, there's your principle established in the book of the covenant. You can go now and use Chabah, dovetailing, and find way more instructions about Shabbat in the book of the law that you bring forward under the right administrations. Would you bring forward the not working on the Shabbat that is outlined in the book of the law into the administration of Yahushua? Of course, because that principle is grounded and established in the book of the covenant. But the administration about animal sacrifices on Shabbat, would you bring that into the new covenant under Yahushua? No, because that is under the ministration of death, which was under a Levitical priesthood. So the principle and command of Shabbat stays. The abstinence from work, of course, stays. But the administration of Levitical ordinances, of course, doesn't apply. So with that, let's look at the 10 principal applications of Chabar, He Bet Resh, or coupling and dovetailing. Because this is very important as we go through. You can look at the Hebrew word. I don't usually use Strong's numbers, but it's Strong's number 2266. Chabar, dovetailing. It means to join or to couple together or really to have fellowship with. To have fellowship with. Is there fellowship between the book of the covenant and the book of the law? Yes, because all scripture is for reproof. We must learn to dovetail and use it under its right administration. We have fellowship with the inspiration of Elohim, words profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, which are found in all scripture, including the book of the law, yet we do not have fellowship with another priesthood and other sacrifices other than Yahushua's key point. Genesis chapter 1, 1, all the way through to Exodus 24, 11, is the Malkitzedic Book of the Covenant foundation. But let's look how foundational covenant commands are given more information and application in the Book of the Law and very much fall under the Malkitzedic administration today. Most of these precepts are binding on us 
For they are mere expositions of most of the commandments that went before in the book of the covenant. We're going to go through ten, and I'll do five today, and then we'll begin next week with the latter five. Number one, let's look at the sanctification holiness code. This comes from the book of the covenant. Exodus chapter 19, verse 14. What was happening? Israel is told to abstain from their wives, to take ritual immersion, mikvah, before in preparation for receiving the book of the covenant. This falls under the sanctification and holiness code. More information about the sanctification and holiness code is found in Leviticus, Vayikra chapter 15. This is all about mikvah and family purity. But its base is a book of the covenant commandment. Now we will use the principle of chabar, coupling, dovetailing, and find out a bunch more information on how to have family purity. And those laws are found in Leviticus chapter 15. This is holy, that's profane, right? So... All of these laws about sanctification and the holiness code should be followed except for what? The administration under the Aaronic priesthood is non-binding. The animal sacrifices that are associated with it are non-binding. That's the wrong administration. But the purity laws, mikvah, abstaining from time with your wife when she's in nidah, all of this is still binding. If you have a male son, you give your wife 40 days. She'd appreciate it. Leave her alone. If she has a female, give her 80 days. Leave her alone. These are all binding. But no, she doesn't have to go and do animal sacrifices because that is a Levitical administration. But the precept and the commandment is foundational in the book of the covenant. We wonder today, now I'm going to be politically incorrect, we wonder today why there is so much homosexuality and so many feminized men. Do you know why? Because the laws of Nidah are not being kept, even in Christianity. Men are going into their wives when they've got all of this female hormones, 80 days worth. And then they're going to get her pregnant and she's going to bear forth a son and he's going to be what? <laughs> come on. I mean, I, I, I mean... Come on, where do you think all of this feminized males, and no matter where they are, they're all walking around and sounding the same. It's all of that femininity. Abstinence. Yahuwah tells us why. You don't want to bring forth a son when your wife has got all of that feminine hormone running through her body. Give her the 80 days, and then if you have a son, he'll be a man. That's politically outrageous, isn't it? But read your Bibles. I mean, come on. Yahweh has this for our health and for our blessings. And if you have somebody in your family that is gay, that is feminized... 
Go back and find out what happened during the cycles of Nidar. Then come talk to me. Because I think you'll find a common, common thread. Just saying. And we love people. This isn't hating on anybody. It's literally hating sin, loving sinners. Doesn't matter what your sin is, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner because we want to bring the sinner into full biblical health and restoration. So this isn't hating. People want to just call you a name now and say, see, you're hating. No, we hate sin regardless. The man that beats up his wife, you hate the sin and you try to restore the sinner. The sin that Yahweh hates above all is the sin of pride because that person can't be redeemed unless there's repentance and it's very hard to make a prideful man or a prideful woman repent. That's why Yahweh hates pride above all sins. So this isn't targeting any one sin. It is saying, look what the Bible teaches. The sanctification and holiness code number one is found in the book of the covenant and it should be followed with the law that you find in Leviticus 15 for health, but of course all of the Adronic ministration, administration is non-binding. Sanctification, what is holy and profane, of course amounts to everything in sexuality Book of the Covenant, it is foundational in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and it dovetails in using the principle of Chabah, which would include everything in Leviticus 20. It's still binding because its foundation is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Number two, spoken statutes and relayed judgments pertaining to man and Elohim. Exodus chapter 21 through 24, 11. In the Torah portion, Mishpatim, statutes and judgments. This is all about restitution. It's expounded upon in much greater detail throughout the book of the law. There's a priestly administration and sacrifice in the book of the law, of course, is non-binding because that is the wrong administration. But the interpersonal and divine commandments between man and man and man and Yahweh, they are still applicable. Justice, mercy, establishing courts of justice and righteousness. This all comes from Exodus, the book of the covenant, 21 through 24, 11. And you'll find a lot more information about it in the book of the law. But any of the priestly administration is non-binding, but the commandments are chabah, coupled and dovetailed into our faith rightly using the word of Yahweh as profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. Number three, here's a good one, tattoos, right? Tattoos. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the book of the covenant. Yahweh, we were created in Yahweh's image. And when Yahusha comes back, no, he is not going to have a tattoo on his thigh. He is draped in a garment. On the garment, it is written the Redeemer. 
the Redeemer. He's not, you know, you've, you read Christian commentary, he's coming back with a tattoo on his thigh. No, no, he's not, no. <laughs> Tattoos, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we were created in Yahweh's image. Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, the book of the covenant here. No tool shall come upon the altar of unhewn stones. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, which is in you, which ye have of Elohim, and ye are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify Elohim in your body. Expanded on in the book of the law, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Two prohibitions of an unnatural disfigurement of the body. You shall not make any cutting in your flesh for the dead, nor any print marks upon you. The latter is the Hebrew word ka'aka, means incision, and it refers to tattooing, and it has no reference to idolatrous images and usages, but was intended to ingrain upon the Israelites a proper reverence for their bodies and Yahweh's creation. Tattoos were and still are forbidden without any reference to pagan, heathen, or idolatrous usages. In other words, the tattoo itself, regardless, the reason is still forbidden due to the violation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, confirmed by verse, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Now, if you have a tattoo, then you repent. Because the other option is to get it cut out and then you violate the other commandment. And that's not a good idea either, is it? So you repent and you move forward and then you teach the next generation righteousness. Number four, defining sin. Genesis chapter 9 Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, we find now this dovetailing or principle of Chabah. In, in um, Genesis chapter 9, you've got what's called the, the so-called Noahide laws. And the book of the covenant then, that foundation expands into Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Abortion, murder, these all fall under a book of the covenant administration. You see? You're not ripping out the book of the law. You're using the principle of Chabah. Is it found in the book of the covenant? Then the principle of Chabah dovetailing. You now can find a lot more information about it in the book of the law, which is going to be profitable for doctrine reproof, but you make sure that you do not administer the Levitical priestly sacrificial rites because that would be under the wrong administration this is really how we are to live and number five we do need we do need a schoolmaster 
Of course we need a schoolmaster. The need for a schoolmaster to understand the blessing and the cursings. Without a schoolmaster, you'd never understand the blessings and the cursings. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Messiah that we might be justified by faith. So I hope you can see just at looking at this principle of Chabad, dovetailing or coupling, that you can see the validity of using the book of the law for doctrine, for admonition, under its right administration, within, I should say, its right administration. Because divided correctly, it brings us to Messiah which was always its purpose. Destroyed, burnt, ripped out of your Bibles, you're left with no conviction, right? You're left with no conviction. Undivided, without a change of administration, you'll become cursed, living as if Messiah died in vain. So you don't want that either. It really is a narrow road, is it not? I think back to my growing up and being put in boarding school when I was 11. I can't believe my mother did that to me. I still have scarring. I talk about it all the time, don't I? Because I still do. I have nightmares, not as often as I used to. But just as I I am no longer, thank Yahweh, just as I am no longer under the administration of my old boarding school masters, Galatians 3.24 and 3.25, I do still rely upon that education, don't I, to be able to understand the covenant complexities that I now studying with my fellow believers in college I wouldn't have been able to get to where I'm at now and understand what I'm studying in the complexities of college if I had not gone through the schoolmasters I need my boarding schoolmasters tutorage so as not to have been illiterate and illiterate is akin to sin from an educational perspective, isn't it? So it's all about administration again. We still eat of an altar. We still eat of an altar. We still learn of priesthood and sacrifices in Yahushua, don't we? But we must read and learn from Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy, the book of the law, through the administration of Hebrews, Galatians, and Ephesians. That is the mystery that Paul was trying to communicate to the first century believers. If not, if not, We end up eating from the altar inside the gate. We end up eating from the altar inside the gate, which is the Judaizing of Jesus. Now, they'll say Yeshua to try and say, well, no, 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 you can get all Hebraic and bring him a... No, you can't. It's the Judaizing of Jesus. Or 
we can go to an altar outside the gate, which is the right administration, and we can then have the change also of the law, which is its right administration, Hebrews 7.12 and Hebrews 13, verse 13. So this is part one of a two-part series on the book of the law. I hope today that what I was able to communicate was the abolishment clause and how when this ministry says the book of the law is abolished, the book of the law is obsolete, it is done away with, yes, I have said those things and those things stand as truth. But we must understand these biblical terms from where they come from. The book of Ezra. It is the right administration that you cannot have the book of the law in the new administration under Yahushua. The old administration is abolished because it would hinder up the building of the new temple, the new one man. So the book of the law in its administration is abolished. Now we understand from looking at the covenant code, Genesis 1 through Exodus 24, 11, the principle of chabar, dovetailing and coupling. If it's found in the book of the covenant, you can get a lot more information about it in the book of the law, the schoolmaster, the tutor, and then you extract that and you bring it into your life as the word of Elohim is for our benefit, but you make sure that you leave that administration of the Levitical, which is inside the gates where it should be, abolished. And that you come outside of the gates with the word of Yahuwah and live the rightly divided life. So, I hope those first five principles and commandments that we saw, just to recap... The sanctification and holiness code, that comes forward. The spoken statutes and judgments, that comes forward. Tattoos, pagan worship, that, of course, we are not to do. And all of those commands come forward. And again, defining sin, sin has already been defined in the book of the covenant. And of course, all of the commands from Walking in righteousness come forward. And the need for a schoolmaster, yes. So that we can get to college and learn the complexities of the covenant. So I hope this gave us a good foundation. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Questions, comments, yes. Yes, um, we have uh, comments. The YouTube family just want to say thank you very much for um, clearing up so many things. People are like, hey, now Romans makes sense. Now this verse makes sense. This makes clearing up Torah, you know, what the difference was. One of the questions that came up was, um, you know, this is probably obvious, but the laws against homosexuality, or is it common sense because he created a man and a woman, not a man and a man? Not common sense for a lot of people today, but the principle and the command is like 
kind after like kind is found in the book of the covenant and that man was joined to woman. It is a covenant commandment that then carries forward. But all of the laws of sexuality that come from the book of the covenant, man with man and the sanctification code, I think I covered all of those principles and commands, a lot more information in Leviticus 20. They all apply because they are found in the book of the covenant, but the administration with sacrifices and priestly duties do not get brought forward into the administration of Yahusha because you would then be commingling and trying to have two administrations at once. This is amazing. This is amazing. Yes, over here we'll mic up unless we have some more questions. Yeah, I have one more. Yes, and yes. I'm sure this is upcoming, but uh, the question, of course, is coming up the dietary commandments. That will be next week. We will cover the dietary requirements and many more. Remember, I've got 10 principles or the Ten Commandments of Chabad, dovetailing, coupling, that will then enable us to rightly divide the word of truth and understand that the book of the law, there's a ton of stuff in there, and it is all scripture is given by inspiration of Elohim, but we must use it under its right administration. Yes. I got two things. Uh, First thing, I wanted to confirm, uh, Nicole and I... uh, by the Spirit, we were led to walk with uh, a certain Hebrew group pretty big in the area a few years back for about three years. And the first thing we felt and just kept discussing, yeah, there's so much truth, but the fruit of the Spirit wasn't there, especially by the elders and, and, and leaders. But there was good good wheat and good people, good loving people, but as far as leadership, the fruit of the Spirit of joy and love and peace, it was haughty, and, and it, I always felt, Nicola would agree, we felt dead when we left there, like drained, and uh, so we just knew it wasn't correct, so we just kept searching and searching, so I wanted to confirm with that, but um, a sincere question, I, I got invited to go preach up at Portland State University and witness on campus uh, this week, and um, doing it the way Abba's built me up in love with the, with the sinners, as you touched on, you um, mentioned to love the sinners, I was doing it in that way to... Uh, for people who rejected the Gospels, I still said, you know, as they're wrathing and hating on me, as God loves you and wants you to repent and come to him just like he's done to me. And I'd still go with that heartfelt message. But the other gentlemen that were with me um, corrected and, and instructed me to that God hates the sinner. Stop telling them that. And I've been um, sitting and meditating on this because there is scripture saying that, but also there's scripture saying he loves everyone. And I, I wanted to know... When you're out there witnessing, is it best to tell them that, that God hates you where you're at in sin, or or do you? Yeah, how how do you? Work yeah, with yeah. The Great question. Yahweh hates sin, and He hates an unrepentant, prideful sinner that will not turn. But He does not hate the sinner who is in the midst of sin. Because there is opportunity for a repentance. But once there's the hardening, oh yes, then that comes under the first clause of Yahweh's despite, which is pride. And he hates the sinner and the sin of an unrepentant, hardened sinner. 
And there are many that you will come to that have already made that choice. And at that point, you don't throw your pearl before the swine. But there are so many today that literally, they've never heard the word of Jesus. They didn't get it in public school. They didn't get it at home. They don't hear it on the radio, not what they're listening to. They don't hear it in their peer group. So there's a whole bunch out there that are just sinners because they don't know and have never heard the message. That's the ones that Yahweh loves. But he knows. We don't. We just have to go out into the fields and see where the harvest's at. Yes. Oh, yeah, we have a... Right here. Uh, For some time, I have had the question that a lot of people have had. Why is this so complicated? You have touched on that tonight. And when you said you spent 10 years learning some of this in the Messianic side of it, or the Hebrew root side of it. Over 10, yeah. And that was like every single week in. I mean, what is that? That's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Torah portions, like 400, really. So I'm glad that I can now be able to communicate this so people won't have to be in the weeds like I was for 10 years. And that's what happens. The next generation, you, you now are getting it so much quicker, so much faster. And that's how it should be. And I'm glad for that. Well, I just want to say that as we see the need to reach those in the church, we have to bring this into it, the fact that we don't, we're ignorant. I'm a minister. I never got any of this, none of this. And I'm having to unlearn so many things, and I'm learning, and I will continue to learn. And if we are going to reach those who have not that background, we've got to somehow let the Holy Spirit draw them as he's drawing some of us now. Yes, amen, hallelujah, good word, yes. So Abba, we thank you, Abba, for this word. We thank you for your Ruach HaKodesh that draws us, for you are the one true living Elohim, and there is no one else beside you. Abba, we thank you, and we just are truly humbled by your magnificence and the glory that you have bestowed upon your people through your saints, Abba, through the Ruach HaKodesh. We thank you for Shabbat in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Be blessed.